Welcome to the Community of Faith podcast, where you will hear the exposition of God's Word taught by Rev. Patrick Parham, pastor of Faith Community Fellowship in Bristol, Tennessee. If you are in the Bristol area and would like to visit, please join us for Sunday morning worship beginning at 10 a.m. If you're not able to join us in person, join us online. Visit our website, faith-cf.org. That's faith-cf.org. Or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash faithcommunityfellowshipbristol. That's all one word, Faith Community Fellowship Bristol. Here at Faith Community Fellowship, our goal is to ensure that what we do is edifying to our Heavenly Father. And we hope that this podcast is a blessing to you. Let's join Pastor Pat as he brings us God's Word. 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll begin our reading at verse 29. And I'll read a few verses, and then we'll speak a while, and then I might read some more. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. But someone will say, How are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies, and what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain. Perhaps wheat, some other grain. But God gives it a body as He pleases, and each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh. There is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another fish, another birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. One star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it's raised in incorruption, it's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown in natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body. And there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first Adam became a living being. And the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. As we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now, now this I say, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Let's pray. Lord, as we begin this portion of the service where we look into Your blessed Word. And we're talking about this wonderful, glorious topic of the resurrection of the dead. 
We ask that You would fill our minds and hearts again with the truth of the Gospel. That it not only is applicable in this life, but it goes right on into the next. That the truth of the Gospel is the saving power of God. And help us as we walk through these verses to do so in a way that's pleasing to You, our King. In Jesus' most holy name, Amen. Paul is really changing just a little bit in these verses. He's going to another source of belief, another kind of a logical reason that people act the way they do because of the resurrection. He's been pre- he, he concentrated on the gospel back in the first of the chapter. He talked about some of the witnesses to the resurrection, the content of the preaching of the apostles. But now he's going to talk about activity of believers in general, lifestyles which will point to a belief in the resurrection. And then he's going to answer some objections to the idea of the resurrection. It takes us down through verse 50. And if we have time, we might take up the last part of the chapter, which is a revelation of a mystery surrounding the second coming of our Lord, a doxology, and then he closes it out with a practical application of all this wonderful teaching. And so he talks about Christian behavior supporting belief in a resurrection. Now verse 29 is interesting to say the least, and you can read any number of reasons and interpretations of what Paul is talking about here. The truth is, we really don't know. There isn't any historical evidence in the early church fathers' writings or anywhere that in the first century there was such a thing as vicarious baptism practiced. There was in the second century, but that was by heretics and was soundly rejected by the church. So we we were left with what is exactly Paul talking about here. And some people think, well, in in the early days of the church, you weren't allowed just to become a church member all at once, really really quick. You had to have have a a probation time. And they called them catechumens, and they would study and learn about the Scriptures. And if everything went along the way everybody hoped and prayed it would, then they would be brought into the church. Well, Time being what it is, sometimes people would get sick while they were catechumen and, and be facing death and they hadn't been baptized because they would be baptized when they brought into the church. And some people think that's what Paul is talking about here. Somebody being baptized for that person because of a belief that they needed to be. Other people think that maybe he's talking about a, a baptism of fire. In other words, he's referring to persecution. Jesus talked in that way in Mark 10 when he asked James and John, he said, you want to sit on my right hand and on the left in my, in my kingdom? Well, are you able to be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with? And then he talked about persecution. And so many people believe that's what Paul is talking about here. But something was going on which caused Paul to use as an example of people doing this in order to show their belief in the resurrection. Then he moves on to his own personal behavior. He said, if there isn't any resurrection, why do I stand in jeopardy every hour? Why do I live the way that I do? Paul certainly was in danger most of his life as a Christian. And his danger was very real when he talks about 
in fighting with beasts at Ephesus, he's talking about the fighting of people there that didn't believe. And you can read about that on his second missionary journey, how terrifically persecuted he was in the city of Ephesus there. You see, what he is saying is without a firm belief in the resurrection, my life has no logical explanation. There's no reason for me to live the way that I am. Might as well just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. But he believed in the resurrection. What about all the martyrs that died during that first century and all the centuries since and are dying now? If there is no resurrection, then they're dying for nothing. This is what Paul is talking about. And all of the teaching and preaching that the apostles did, even though they were supremely persecuted in the book of Acts, why would they do that if they didn't believe in a resurrection? You say the activity of believers points to the fact that the resurrection is a fact. You say, don't be deceived. Don't hang around and talk about and discuss the possibility that Jesus didn't rise. You say, no, evil company corrupts good habits. So don't do that. Come back to your senses. Wake up. Awake to righteousness. Don't sin. Doctrine has consequences. It's to share the message, the knowledge of God. Some people in the church of Corinth evidently didn't fully understand the nuances of believing in the resurrection. And Paul says, that's not right. That's to your shame. You ought to straighten these people out. You ought to talk to them about this. Bad company or evil company corrupts good habits. As we apply these verses through the ages, Christians have suffered persecution. Many times their goods were confiscated. Maybe their jobs were lost. Many times life was lost just for the privilege of knowing Jesus in a saving, life-changing way. I wonder about us. Are we willing to suffer any sort of persecution for the Lord? Even a little inconvenience or maybe having our feelings hurt or something like that. He said, awake to righteousness and do not sin. Then when he talks about in verse 33, evil company corrupts good habits. I know in the context what he's talking about. He's talking about those who deny the resurrection, but I believe you could have a general principle in that verse as well. In general, evil company corrupts good habits. It pulls people down. It pulls them away from following the Lord like they ought to be doing. And then when he gets down into verses 35 through 50 that we talked about, he's answering some questions that to us might seem, well, why would people ask that? But we need to understand that Corinth was in Greece. And Greece and Greeks had an understanding of material things, including our body. And they saw them as evil. And they saw that the soul, at least they thought, that the soul was imprisoned in the body. And when death came, that really was freedom for the soul from that old evil body that had held it captive all of this Time. But Paul is talking about this in terms that he wants us to know our physical bodies are fitted. They're made for this world. They're not evil. They're made by God and our resurrected bodies will be fitted or made for the next. But also think of bodies in another way. Bodies give us individuality. 
They give us self-expression of who we are. And if we've talked about so many times over the years, when in eternity we are going to be individuals. Jesus says, I know my sheep by name. And I call them and they follow me. We're not going to be some part of an impersonal force or some segment of karma out there somewhere. No, we are individuals now and we will be them. And he says in verse 35, how are the dead raised up? That Somebody's asking, well, what, how, what are the mechanics? What, what are the particulars? And the other question is, with what body do they come? It has to do with form. How are the particulars carried out? And with what form are they going to come up? And so Paul begins to talk about this. He said, just look at the example of agriculture. Now, I, I never claimed to be a farmer, but I have had some gardens and, and grown a few things. And he talks about sowing. What you sow is not made. And, and, and really, when you think about it, sowing is a type of burying. New life is required for that seed to sprout up, even in a garden. And God gives it a body as He Pleases. I know when I used to grow 90-day corn, you take that old kernel, old dried-up thing, and you put it down in the ground, bury it down in there, and you begin to water it and work along with it. And God would do His part and send the uh, rains and all these types of things. And eventually a plant would spring up, but it wasn't yellow and dried up. It was green and lively looking. And then it would grow up and eventually you would have some corn that somewhat was similar to what you had buried. But it was a new body coming forth and God gives that seed life. We know, we, we know these things, but they are just so commonplace, we don't even think about it on a day-to-day basis. You see an acorn and you look at that acorn and you know that the properties of an oak tree are in there, but you don't really reason all that in your mind. You just see it, you take it for granted, and eventually there'll be another oak tree. That's the way it works. And he's talking about, look at the examples of just agriculture. And then he said, look at the examples of flesh. He said, all flesh is the same kind. And he names all these different ones. And if there can be different types of flesh now, there can also be different kinds of bodies. One buried and another one that's going to be raised up. He said, look at the heavenly bodies. They're different than the earthly bodies. There are celestial, that is heavenly, and there are terrestrial, that is earthly bodies, and they're different. And even within those celestial bodies, there are different degrees of glory and there's different purposes for them, but they all have one, they all have a different glory. And he talks about that down through verse 41. And so he's just making all these arguments from nature, things that we see every day. He said, the questions that you're asking, you should know the answer to. You see it all the time. Just like when Nicodemus came to the Lord and, his, and he told him you got to be born again. So how can that be? He said, you're a leader in Israel and you don't know? He said, you ought to know these things. And then he comes down to verse 42. He said, apply these things in our thinking to the resurrection. There is a body sown in corruption. That's when we go to the graveyard. Now we have a Christian burial and we 
Rejoice in the fact that that loved one who knows the Lord is going to come forth from the grave one day. But when you strip all of that away, in actuality, what we're putting in the ground is going to corruption. That's what's going to happen. But he said, it's raised in incorruption. Think of the Lord. When He was buried... He was only in that grave three days. In Psalms it says the Lord God would not allow His body to see corruption. It wasn't in there long enough. And then when you get over to Romans 6 and verse 9, Romans 6 and verse 9, we read this, Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over Him. So when He was raised, the body that came forth from the grave, death had no power over it. Corruption had no power over it. It was raised incorruptible. That's what He's talking about here in this verse 42. He said the body is sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. The body that we sow and we bury is of the earth and it returns to the earth. You can go back and read about that in Genesis 3 and verse 19. But the one that is going to be raised is of the Spirit and we live in heaven. And you can go over to John 14, verses 1 through 3. Just let me flip over there a minute. John 14 and verses 1 through 3. A very, very familiar passage of Scripture. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again, receive you to Myself, there at that resurrection, that where I am, there you may be also. The one is sown in weakness. If it wasn't weak, it wouldn't have died to start with. But it's raised in power. The one is sown a natural body, meaning that it's adapted to this world and life. But the other is raised a spiritual body which is adapted to heaven and a spiritual life with God throughout eternity. And then he moves on and he begins to talk about a subject that he has developed in other of his epistles being the two Adams. Verse 45. So it is written, the first man Adam became a living being. That's back in Genesis 2 and verse 7. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the earth and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. But the second man is the Lord from heaven. The second man is the Lord from heaven. He is a life-giving spirit. A life-giving spirit. And he talks about it in more detail in verses 47, 48, 49. But there is an order there. There is the natural is first, and then the spiritual is second. The natural man, verse 47, was of the earth. But the second man is from heaven. And Jesus taught about that many times in His teachings and in His discussions with the Pharisees. I came forth from My Father and I'm going to go back to My Father. As was the man of dust in verse 48, so are the ones made of dust. In other words, natural people have the same characteristics that Adam had. In the resurrection though, we're going to have the same characteristics as Jesus does. The last Adam. Just as surely as we have born one, we shall, must bear the characteristics 
of the other. He talks about the image there in verse 49. And there is a necessity there because flesh and blood, earthly bodies, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It's impossible. We cannot take corruption into heaven, nor does corruption inherit in Corruption, a change of necessity is an imperative, a spiritual body as opposed to flesh and bones. It's not that our natural bodies that will ever enter into the life to come. It'll be a new body. There'll be some similarities. I mean, they knew who Jesus was, but there's different completely. And in Philippians, we read our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our loaded body that it may be conformed to His glorious body according to the working by which He is even able to subdue all things unto Himself. Now let's apply these thoughts. As I mentioned, unsaved Corinthians, Greek culture in general, believed matter was inherently evil. The body was a prison and death was released, not unlike much modern teaching, Think of Star Trek. You ever watch those old Star Trek, the original ones, and, and how they always moved toward, everything was moving toward pure energy. Pure energy. There would be no matter. There would be no body there. Not a whole lot different. But the Bible teaches something completely different. Our bodies as well as our souls are creations of God. Both are imported to Him and to our essential being. Both will ultimately be redeemed and reunited at the resurrection unto eternal life. A second point is that all human beings are born in the image of Adam. As natural men and women, we inherit his original sin. And we commit actual sin every day. As we saw last week and talked about the wages of sin is death. That old Adamic nature cannot just be cleaned up and be made acceptable. No, we need the second Adam's nature. We need the last Adam's nature. We need to be in Him and that's only possible through the new birth. But for those who are in Him, just as we bear the image of the first Adam, we also bear the image of the second Adam. And one of the commentaries I was reading this week made a real point out of saying the Bible never calls Jesus the second Adam. It calls Him the last Adam. There's not going to be a third. You might think, well, how silly. Well, you ever heard of Sun Moon? He called himself the third Adam. But there's only two. There's the first Adam and the last Adam. So we will bear His image as well. Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Well, let's go ahead and read the next few verses here, beginning at verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying, that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You see, Paul is saying as far as Christians go, not everyone will die. There will be some alive when the Lord comes back. But all will be changed. All will be changed. Those who are alive and remain and those who have died being asleep in Jesus. And it will be in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. I don't know how quick that is, but it's quick. It's real quick. At the last trumpet, I don't know that he's really talking about where well, the 17 trumpets and this is the last one. What he's talking about is it is marking the end of everything as we know it. It's marking the end of it. And he said the trumpet will sound. It's going to happen. The dead will be changed. It is a divine certainty. And the mortal will put on immortality. And if you think of the body as a house in which our souls reside or a suit of clothes in which we reside, we got a new suit. That's what he's talking about. Really, if you study it, we will be, our souls will change clothes and the result will be Death will be swallowed up in victory. That is completely defeated, completely destroyed. In Isaiah, which is where he's quoting here, it says, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. Then he has some questions. Death, where is your sting? The sting has been removed. You, you, you've been stung by a yellow jacket. I know you have. I have. Them things will sting you after they're dead. But what if it didn't have a stinger? If it had been removed? Then it'd be alright to pick them up, wouldn't it? The sting has been removed from death. The law. Hades, where is your victory? Where is your victory? Yes, we go to the graveyard and we bury our loved ones, but we can come away rejoicing because they're not going to stay there. Jesus has gotten victory over the grave. He says the sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law because sin is the transgression of the law. We all sin, so we all die. But when we believe in the one who never sinned, then that has all been removed and we will look forward to and participate in the resurrection. And so he said, the sting of death is sin, the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory, the victory over sin, the victory over death, victory over hell through, by means of, the Lord Jesus Christ. And He uses all three of the Lord's names. He is the Lord of all creation. He is the giver of life. He is the Savior of men. That's Jesus. And He is the Anointed One of God. That is, He is the Christ. And so, as Paul always does, he always comes back to practicality. He has proven beyond a doubt that there's going to be a resurrection. He has talked about it. He has answered questions. He has made his point abundantly and says, therefore, based upon the idea, based upon the knowledge that this world is not all there is, that this world is just preparing us for the next, that we will be resurrected. How should that affect us day by day? He said, be steadfast. Be faithful. Don't give up. 
Be faithful in your work for the Lord. Be immovable. Stand firm. No matter what else is going on around us, stand firm in the faith. Always abounding. That is, love God more. Share more of His message. Serve Him more. Rejoice more. Be abounding in the work of the Lord because eternal life is a reality. The resurrection is a certainty. And the return of Christ is our hope and so our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, what a glorious chapter this is. And through the power of the Holy Spirit and His inspiration, Paul finished it out in just a wonderful, wonderful phrase there in these last few verses. We thank You that for us who believe in You, the resurrection is a certainty. It will take place and we will live forever with You in heaven. We thank You that through You we can have the victory over sin and death. And help us as a result to be steadfast, to be immovable, to abound in the work of the Lord because it's never empty. It's never useless. It's never in vain. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Pat, for another wonderful message from God's Word. I hope that you have enjoyed listening to Pastor Pat's message. If this has been a blessing to you, please like and follow this podcast and give us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. If you would like to support this ministry and the other ministry opportunities at Faith Community Fellowship, please visit our website, faith-cf.org support. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Community of Faith.